Well, the 12 days of Christmas, on the first day of Christmas, my true love sent to me a partridge in a pear tree, and so it goes on. And so after seven days, the house is full of chaos and noise and mess. Think of it, seven swans, six geese, uh, four collie birds, that's the old word for, for a blackbird, three French hens, two turtle doves, and we haven't even got to maids are milking and lords are leaping and drummers drumming. It's a disaster. Quick, send a note to my true love and say, no more, no more gifts. Otherwise, this relationship's over. The 12 days of Christmas. Well, how about two dogs, four cats, and a hundred parakeets? About 20 years ago, an experiment was carried out in a nursing home. Uh, It was a nursing home with uh, 80 uh, severely disabled elderly residents. Um, Four out of five of them had Alzheimer's or something similar. So what was the experiment? Well, a new doctor had taken charge. And seeing the residents devoid of spirit and energy, he decided to introduce to the home two dogs, four cats, and a hundred parakeets. So what happened? Well, the residents began to wake up. They began to come to life. People they thought could not speak started speaking. People they thought couldn't walk started taking the dogs for a walk. And all the birds were adopted and given names. And the light returned to people's eyes. And the amount of drugs that they administered fell by 60%. And the death rate fell significantly. And the reason... Well, said the doctor, I believe that the difference in the death rates can be traced to the fundamental human need for a reason to live. The introduction of those animals, adopting those animals, having something to look after, it gave those residents a reason to live. Simply being housed and fed and kept warm and safe is not enough. We need a reason to live. It's hardwired in. Something to give our lives meaning. To give my life meaning. A reason to live. So come with me to the reading which we had. John's Gospel. How does John begin? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So it says, John, in the beginning, before time was. In the beginning, before creation was. In the beginning was the Word. The Word who is with God, and the Word who is himself God, the Word who made everything out of nothing and gives life to all, the Word, the Logos, the ultimate reality, the fire that burns behind the universe, the second person of the Godhead. But what do we read next? 
Verse 4, in him was life. Life. A reason to live. Here is the life. Here is the reason. Here is the answer. But John goes on. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the eternal God became a man without ceasing to be God. And Jesus is his name. So is God a a faceless, heavenly bureaucrat? No, we see the godness of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Is God a celestial bully boy? Not according to those who met with Jesus. On the contrary, in Jesus they found the reason to live. In him was life. So let's put together some episodes that John recounts for us in his gospel. Episode number one is in the same chapter. Look at verse 35. The next day... Again, John, that's John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. This evening, are you uh, in your youth, maybe in your teens, 20s, let's call 30s, that's, that's young enough, isn't it? And Jesus intrigues you. You've heard so much about him. And there's a sense in which you're, you're watching and maybe you're following him at a distance. And you have so many questions. You want to know more. But it's, it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? You feel a bit awkward, a bit hesitant. And tonight Jesus turns to you, if you look at verse 38, and he says, what are you seeking? And to that question, maybe you don't know quite what to answer, as these two disciples didn't know quite what to say. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? It's a bit of a non-answer, isn't it? Keeps the door open, but they don't really say what they mean. Verse 39, he said to them, as he says to you tonight, come and see. Need a reason to live? Says Jesus, come. Come and see. Episode number two. John chapter two. Maybe tonight you're a family and you're facing a difficult situation. Like this family. It's a wedding feast and the wine has run out. And so the need is very real, it's urgent, and this family can do nothing to remedy the situation. Enter Jesus. In fact, we're taking from verse 5. Jesus' mother said to the servants, servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars, water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. 
When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people are drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus meets this family's need, and he meets it far more abundantly than ever they could have thought or asked. I mean, you look at what he does, it's the, it's the sheer extravagance, isn't it? The generosity, turning standing water into the best wine, 200 gallons of it, and doing it when they least expect it. Do you need a reason to live? Standing water turned into the best wine? Then look to Jesus. And verse 5, do whatever he tells you. Episode number 3, we'll say in John 2, John chapter 2. Maybe tonight you're, you're sick of religion. And you're fed up with politics. And you're so disillusioned with our culture. And everything you look at seems corrupt. And you look and you think, where's the leadership? Will no one take charge? Is there there anyone who can put things right? Well, Jesus comes to the temple. The temple is the house of God. But under the corrupt temple authorities, the place of worship has become a marketplace. In fact, it's become like a farmyard. Instead of holiness, there's corruption and greed. And the place where heaven and earth are supposed to meet, is rotten and not fit for purpose. So chapter 2, verse 14, John tells us in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And this is Jesus, and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Can you imagine it? Witness the scene. Here is Jesus, and he's filled with a, with a righteous anger. He makes a whip of cords, and then with a, a resolute step and a holy violence, he single-handedly sends money, people, animals scattering in all directions. The temple is not fit for purpose. And so as the Son, the Son of God, the one who has authority, he effectively closes the temple for the day. Anyway, it will soon be redundant. Jesus is awesome. One man. Didn't anyone stop him? No one dares to stop him. And his astonished disciples, as they look on, all they can think about is that scripture, verse 17, zeal for your house will consume me. Here's a real man, the true man. He has red blood in his veins. And he has the courage and the authority to deal with a broken system and a broken world. Do you need a reason to live? Jesus the man, the one who really is worthy 
of our devotion, the one who really is worthy of our lives. Episode number four, John chapter three. Tonight, are you a respected intellectual? Maybe you're a teacher and you're accustomed to explaining things to others. But the more you know, the more you seem to ache. Because when it comes to the big question, life, you can't find the answer. And you're still looking. You have some pieces of the jigsaw, but there are so many pieces of the jigsaw that are missing. You can't see how the pattern fits together. And maybe you'd like to talk to someone about it, but you don't want to break cover because you feel that you're the one who ought to know. Well, John chapter 3 is Nicodemus. He's the great man. He is the premier teacher in Israel. Any questions, you go to Nicodemus, the respected intellectual. But he comes to Jesus at night with these very questions. And Jesus says to him, it's not more learning that you need, It's not more books, more knowledge, more information. What you need, Nicodemus, is transformation. Chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, for you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You need a reason to live. You need Jesus to give to you new life, real life, His life. You need to be born again. And then you really will see. Episode number five, John chapter four. Maybe tonight you're world weary. You know, you've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and you're fed up with the cliches as well. Are you thirsty? Are you disappointed? And your adventures have left you messed up. Maybe there's been a string of broken relationships. Well, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. It's the middle of the day. She's come to fetch water, but she's on her own. Fetching water for the women was a social activity, but she's alone. She's coming in the middle of the day when you wouldn't normally come to get the water. She's alone. Why? Because the other women shun her. Because already she's living with partner number six. She thinks she knows about men, but she's never met any man like Jesus. And he says to her, chapter 4, verse 13, Everyone who drinks of this water, pointing to the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. Water. 
Are you thirsty? Do you need a reason to live? Jesus gives to us living water. It's like an everlasting cool drink of water on a hot, dry day. He gives to us liquid life. Episode number six, John chapter five. Do you feel you're wasting your life? Are you a spectator? You're watching other people. It's always other people who are, up to do, who are doing things, but you're always the spectator, always watching them. Well, there's a man who's not moved for 38 years. And he's sitting by a pool in Jerusalem. And folklore has it that when the water in the pool stirs, the first in is healed. But he's been there for 38 years. Does he really want to get better? Or is he happy just to lie there, watch the world go by, making his his excuses? Does he need a reason to live? Well, along comes Jesus, chapter 5, verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? 38 years. Do you really want to change? Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, here comes his excuse, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. That word get up is the same word that's used when describing resurrection. Do you need a reason to live? Jesus raises us, resurrection, to a new life with new possibilities, a new purpose a new direction, a new me. It's resurrection. And if you read on in John chapter 5, a lot of people found that very threatening. People don't like change. But do you want a reason to live? Tonight, are you hungry? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Are you thirsty? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. And his voice reaches across two millennia. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Are you tonight, you feel dirty and ashamed. Too many secrets waiting to be found out. And yet this life that you're living, you can't seem to break free from it. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. But if the Son of Man sets you free, you will be free indeed. A reason to live. Maybe you feel all this is pointless anyway. Because even if you find a reason to live, death's going to get you in the end. John chapter 11. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The life that Jesus gives 
His life cannot be killed. So those who die in Jesus, they leave the realm of the dying for the realm of the living, awaiting the resurrection day when they'll be clothed with the beauty not their own, a resurrection body for that resurrected world, God's new world. A reason to live. Jesus said the thief comes only to to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. In him was life. Now where's John heading with all of this? Why is life broken? Why are people broken? Why do we need a reason to live and yet we can't find the reason to live? And the lives that we live seem so empty and damaged. And yet we cling on to life. And we who cling to life and rail against the dying of the light, we have to die. Why? And the answer the Bible gives unlocks that puzzle. Listen again, listen again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. God made me. God made me for Himself. That's the reason. That's the reason for life. That's the reason for my life. God made me. But says the Bible, what have I done? I've walked out on God. I've chosen a future without God. So if I was made for God, and yet I've frozen God out, there's no surprise but I can't find the reason for life, the reason to live. I was made for Him, but it's Him I've turned my back on. The great Augustine wrote, You've made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in You. That's it. That's it. Maybe it's been there in plain sight all these years and you haven't seen it. That's it. He's the reason. And you see, to compound our problem, we fill these restless hearts with everything and anything but God. As though the things that God has made are more real, more substantial, more satisfying than the God who made them. And the things we filled our lives with, what do they do? They only leave us more damaged and more empty. And they actually put us on a collision course with God himself. You know those feelings that you have, those feelings of guilt, those feelings of shame, those secrets you don't want anyone to know, and you'd be horrified if it was known. Well, those feelings of guilt and shame, they're forerunners of Judgment Day when everything will be revealed. And you know, I know, 
that none of us can prove our innocence on that day. And I can't put any of it right. I can't put it right. Which is why God moved heaven and earth to rescue us. Which is why the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us in this mucky, messed up world. So John in his gospel, where is he heading with all of this? We'll read on because he's heading to a cross. I've wronged God. Says the Bible, I'm under a death sentence. The wages of sin is death. Eternal punishment in that other place. But Jesus went to that cross where the sins of countless people who've offended God were put to his account so that when God came to punish the guilty, Jesus took the blame. He died that punishing death for sin. I deserve to die. So whoever comes to Jesus Christ to save them, it's as though God forwards the judgment day to the cross and condemns their sin there so that they can live on the other side of the judgment and can enjoy peace with God. No condemnation. The calm of sins forgiven. And they find in Jesus himself the very reason to live. So tonight he says to you, come and see. Don't stand at a distance. Don't be hesitant. Come and see. He's the one who turns water into wine. He's the one you've been looking for. The one who we've been looking for all our lives. One who is worthy of my life. But you must be born again. And he invites you to drink freely of the water that never runs dry. And a reason to get up. Not to be a spectator. Not to watch others living their lives. But your life, a new life, resurrection life. A reason to live. To find that new life, real life, abundant life. That not even death itself can kill. And to discover his love, the love of Jesus Christ. No one loves like he loves. To be loved by the great lover himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Here in Jesus Christ, here is the life worth living He is the Lord worth loving. Indeed, He is Himself the life. Which is why John's Gospel ends with Jesus rising from the dead. And Thomas, the everyman skeptic, maybe you're the skeptic. Thomas, the everyman skeptic, we find him worshipping Jesus with these words, My Lord and my God. Jesus, 
He's the reason. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the reason to live. Why haven't you come to Jesus? These things have been in plain sight, haven't they? Maybe all your life. You've always known them. It's in plain sight. It's been there. You know it. You know. In fact, you could have probably stood up here and preached what I've just been preaching. You know these things. They're not strange to you. But you've yet to come to Jesus Christ. What holds you back? Do you remember what he said again to that woman at the well? Think of it. He's saying this to you tonight. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Think about that. Why are you still drinking the water of this world? Why are you still filling your life with the best of this world? Because even if it's the best of the best, at the end of the day, you will still be thirsty. It won't satisfy that that longing. Your soul has a much greater, deeper, fuller capacity than can be filled with the things of this world. God made you for Himself. And only God Himself can fill you. So why are you why are you standing at a distance and complaining that you're thirsty? Tonight, come to Jesus Christ. Come, you, yes, you. You've seen others come. You've heard their testimony. They've drunk deeply. You come. You come. And the gospel is so, such a wonderful invitation. You don't have to climb a mountain or go over here or try and believe things that I can't believe. Because the one thing you can believe, which is simple and straightforward, is that I've messed up. I can believe that. I, I know I've messed up. I can believe that. Lord, I've messed up. And I can believe too that Jesus went to that cross to rescue to save messed up sinners. I can believe that too. So Lord, I've messed up. But you went to that cross to save messed up sinners. So Lord, rescue me. Save me, a sinner. Will you pray that tonight? Will you pray that now? Do you have to put your hand up? You prayed in the silence of your heart. He will hear. That nursing home. When the doctor sought to introduce those pets, he met with great opposition. Two dogs, only one's allowed. Anyway, we've tried that before. Four cats, well, what's the health department going to say? And a hundred parakeets, they said, no, no, no. Think of the mess. But no one was thinking about the people who needed a reason to live. So what's keeping you from Jesus Christ? Is it the fear of change? 
Is it the mess that it will make? Maybe you feel like I'm going to be breaking the house rules. The trouble it will cause. Think of the cost. Think of what people will say. But you can't keep going on like this, can you? You know something has got to change. Doesn't your life need to be turned upside down or maybe actually turned up the right way? A reason to live? In him was life. Jesus is the reason. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Lord, we thank you that indeed you moved heaven and earth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we thank you that your Son came into this world not to condemn, but to save. Good news. Good news for helpless, thirsty, dying sinners. And we thank you that good news is as good today as when it was first declared. We pray, gracious God, that you would have mercy upon us, that we would see something of the attractiveness and beauty and wonder of your Son. Open our eyes. Grant us to see that which perhaps has been in our lives in plain sight all these years. And draw us even tonight irresistibly to yourself. Call us by name. Draw us to yourself. Say to us, get up. Oh, we pray that you would do this for every one of us. Because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.